Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello, welcome to Book Shambles. This is producer Trent here. Our guest this week is Sophie Walker. Uh, This was meant to be part of an episode with two guests on it, but uh, we haven't been able to record the second part of the episode because um, the world. So we thought we'd pop out this with Sophie this week. Uh, No events to plug for anyone at the moment. But if you are not aware, we have been running the Stay at Home Festival, cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home. We are doing daily shows at 10am, a morning show hosted by Robin and Josie, live streamed on YouTube, youtube.com slash cosmicshambles every single day. And lots of evening shows as well, including our Science Shambles podcast goes out live, Book Shambles podcast goes out live. We have had all sorts of incredible guests on that show. Mark Gators, Chris Hadfield, Brian Cox, Sarah Pascoe, Joe Brand, Philippa Perry. Guests coming up include Adam Kay, Nikesh Shukla, Stuart Lee. We've had music from Grace Petrie and Emma Pollock and Gecko. David McCormont. So it's free to watch. Uh, we are, there is a donate button on the pages there. Uh, all the profits we make from that will go to acts and artists and art centres and stuff that uh, have no income at all for the foreseeable future. So we're still going to be putting out book shambles each week. Uh, Dean Burnett's Smart Welsh People podcast is still going out each week. We're going to keep up with the blogs as well at patreon.com slash book shambles where you can go to support us. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird time, um, so we thought it's probably a good idea to A, keep busy and raise some money for people who need it and also just see people each day. It's it's Who thought that would be a novelty? So make sure you go to cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home. You can catch up on all the previous episodes are there on demand. You can see the schedule for what's coming up, where to watch it live each day. So get involved with that. Also for our Patreon supporters, next week uh, we're going to be doing a evening show just for Patreon supporters to say thanks for your continued support uh, during this crisis pandemic. Uh, it's both of those things, call it whatever you want. Uh, yet we'll be doing a live evening chat with uh, Robin and Josie and myself and probably a couple of guests as well just for Patreon supporters. But uh, now... We'll get on to this week's episode of Book Shambles. Here is Robin and Josie and Sophie. Uh, we're speaking to Sophie Walker. This is Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. I'm Josie Long. And um, yeah, I think it's it, there's so much of it that I have felt has been very, very important to me as somebody who tries to write about politics and about activism and, like, each of the chapters, I'm like, yes, defeat, <laughs> despair, despair is a luxury. That was the whole show. And then, like, um, the idea that I, I, when I felt really, really low, I wrote to this guy who's who's uh, one of the Black Panthers who's been wrongfully in prison for about 
40 years and it's so pathetic what, just for a bit of perspective um, well no I wish I'd had perspective just for help I was like please help me uh, this was in like 2011 we've been defeated right. and yes. I don't know how to keep going and I yes. really need your advice and he was basically like you have to turn all your anger into positive action yes. you can do it and then I was so and it, it meant the world to me but now I'm like oh my god like yes. this poor guy having to do like my work for me (laughs) and then um, I think about uh, wielding hope is power and the book um, hope in the dark as well and like it to me feels just like everything that is necessary is in this book in such a clear way I'm so pleased to hear that like, uh, and I'm just going to go through the last two because I think I, I agree completely like collaborate with compassion for now in terms of how much people are made to feel as if they have to very, very quickly come down on one side of something or very, very quickly kind of react and the idea that actually you can always take a step back and like practice compassion alongside having principles. (laughs) Well, and also you can have principles without being massively judgy. Sure. Well, is that work? Because that's what, when I was reading the book in the beginning, I thought, right, I think about the negative things, first of all. Mm. And one of them is, I was thinking about the incredible divisions amongst kind of people who are progressive. Mm. at the moment yeah. and and there is does seem to be an issue which is that uh progress can go off in so many different routes so progress it's is not really hard to define so i believe in this and you know when i see some of the the previous allies who are now splintered and mm. hate each other yeah whereas the aggressive not- forces it's a much easier narrative because going backwards is is thin you know, you know what you're going to progress is is all of these different and that seems to be where Certainly with social media, you go, oh, man, all of these people who five years ago were allies and now hate each other. Yeah. Oh, gosh, there's so much to unpack in that. But I suppose I would say, like, I don't think what's happening on the side that you've just called progress is progress. Um, I think um, I think actually it's uh, we've been encouraged and partly, I think, through social media to reduce ourselves and reduce ourselves and sort of distill ourselves into you know, essence of self to the point where um, all of our likes and and dislikes are absolutely entrenched purely in order to sell things to us. Um, I mean, that's the function of most of, you know, most of these online platforms is to collect our data and then push it to other, you know, sell it on to other people. So um, I think um, I think we have to be really, really careful about how we use social media and be really conscious of of what the algorithms are driving us to do. And I but yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I I the reason I wrote the book was I've been a campaigner for about 10 years and I um, before that I was a journalist and I traveled the world and, and wrote stories about different lives because I felt that that was a useful thing to do. I feel like we. We all learn when we can hear and see different perspectives. And I was very much then pushed into being an activist um, because it uh, because my daughter was diagnosed with autism. And it was a process that took five years and it was excruciating and the support was not there. Pretty much every, every time I expected help, it was not there. Um, and um, so we were let down by the schools, we were let down by the medical profession, we were let down by our local council, we were let down by children's services, you know, trying to, me trying to apply for a disability living allowance, being refused it, trying to apply for an educational healthcare plan, being refused it. And I had to very completely change my life uh, in, in multiple different ways. I had to give up full-time work. Um, I had to uh, really go into battle for a child who aged eight uh, would say things to me like, I wish I wasn't here. What is the point of me? Um, 
and so I was I was really forced into being um, an activist and an advocate and a fundraiser and a lobbyer for you know the cause of uh, of disability rights, particularly disability rights for girls and women, because I was shocked by the lack of understanding and and research and. Uh, 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 diagnosis for for girls on the spectrum. Anyway, so from there I went into leading the Women's Equality Party, uh, which sounds like an absurd uh, non sequitur. <laughs> I mean, I heard that you know I was invited to come and be part of this new political party, and I joined out of huge frustration with politicians who were very unwilling to listen or 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 incorporate new ideas. Um, and then and then so it was sort of autumn twenty eighteen, and I had been. Uh, I'd been a campaigner for about 10 years and during the period and that during that time politics had gone nuts you know particularly over the four years I was leading the Women's Equality Party we'd had the EU referendum um, Joe Cox was murdered uh, we had uh, the election of Donald Trump the arrival of fake news uh, we uh, mass murder events in Paris and Manchester and Barcelona and Christchurch and all around the world um, and I was being routinely asked to do media interviews about women's equality, like human rights, as though it was the other side of an argument that could plausibly be denied by a sexist in a nice suit. I was being, I was getting appalling threats through social media. I was getting people coming up to me on the street to abuse me. And then furthermore, people that I wanted and hoped to work with were telling me, I was crap as well. Like, you're a rubbish feminist. You'll never be a good enough feminist. You've let us down on this. You've let all women down. And I just thought, I got to the point where I thought, I can't, like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I'm generally all round rubbish was the point where I'd got to. Um, and, and I had to just stop. I thought the most useful thing I can do is to get out of the way for people who can do this better. And I was very conscious that as a white middle class woman leading a feminist political party, I should pass the mic to a woman with different perspectives and experience from me. But I also just felt like I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. Um, and so I stopped. But in the in the process of sort of taking to the sofa for three months or however long it was, I couldn't leave it alone. My brain just kept going. Like how how do you do this? How do you do this? How you know, there must be a way to sustain because the urgency has never been clearer um, and the need for new ideas and new perspectives and different voices has also never been more important because our systems are broken. So, yeah, so I did a lot of reading and then I started interviewing and talking to other activists, other feminist activists. How have you done it? What worked for you? And And before long, I started to come up with a, a philosophy, if you like. I think that was my big breakthrough, actually, the point where I realised activism is not a series of pitched battles. It's, it's a philosophy that can sustain you. And if you see it as a philosophy, that can sustain you in, in the really, really difficult bits when it seems that progress is just splintering and, the, and, and you know, the side that's not progressive is stronger and more united than ever before. And it's a rich tapestry as well. Like The thing that really keeps me going and gets me through is... If I have no strength, there are always people who are on the crest of a wave. Precisely. There's always people who are absolutely at a point where they're completely in full belief that everything will be won and all this stuff. And like, 
it's never just about you. It's Precisely. never about you. It's about everyone and Precisely. it's about looking out. Although I've got a joke at the moment about how I'm, I'm a socialist and I look to the rich history of socialism, but you can't look that closely because you do see that then we all get murdered. So you have to kind of get back <laughs> from that and you have to see the rich history just before the military coups, just before that bit. But um, definitely, I think it's it's so important. Like, Sorry, I didn't yet mention the last part of your... Um, but which is about perseverance and about the fact that, like, I, I always think as well, you're not going to switch sides, are you? Like, right. Most of the time, it's too bloody late to switch sides. It's not like you, if you turned up at the CIA, they'd be like, you can have a job. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't switch sides. So you just have to, like, you know, sometimes the, the team is losing, so you go and sit near the people who play music, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's such a wonderful way of thinking about it. Like, I, I had... I had really, and it was, it's, you know, it was crazy, really, because I'd, I spent so much time on marches, like physically alongside all the other people doing this work. I'd campaigned and and leafleted and door knocked and, um, and had been out with so many good people working really hard as volunteers, mm-hmm. you know, up against it to to make change, and yet, and yet, I had managed to get myself to a point where I felt very isolated unbelievably solely and wholly responsible for all of these people that I was trying to bring along with me. And I think part of that, I mean, part of that is was weariness. Part of it was the conditions that I referred to earlier. I think part of it is because in politics particularly, we are very quickly pushed into leadership models that are that don't work. I mean, mm-hmm. they just don't work. They, they insist on uh, somebody has to be right, somebody has to be wrong. You're never allowed to be, to say... Uh, you don't know. You're never allowed to do nuance. Mm-hmm. Well, um, look at the way that, like, when Jeremy Corbyn was asked a question, he would think about it and he would try to give a balanced answer, and it was like, ah! <laughs> he's let everyone down. And like, the, just seeing somebody operating at a slightly different pace and register was so egregious to people because he wasn't saying like, this is this, bye. You know, people couldn't bear it. Well, I think that's one of the battles, though, in terms of evolution which is a lot of the things that we have evolved to need in terms of what we believe is leadership and what we believe is right. It's things with a very fierce, definite, kind Mm. of there's no doubt and there's no room for thought. Mm. And now we have reached a stage where the complexity of existence, the complexity of being self-aware is so great that finding the language that allows doubt and allows allows thought and uh, you know because I think a lot but of compassion some, as well yeah and I think that that seems to be a I mean I was interested when you were talking about your daughter in the book and you talked about when she was eight and when she was being bullied at school mm. and she kind of got in trouble for it oh and, yeah and, our special and, educational and, need coordinator rang me up and said well she brings it on herself you know and there's a lot oh, of God. that in this book which is a lot of you know Jack Monroe as well when you when you 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 talk to her and when when she was really getting to to the, the end of her tether and and you know again it was kind of like well you brought it on yourself mm. you've had a baby a lot mm. of the of the, of things that seem to be within the the narrative what you talk about the thing to fight back against is an an opinion in particular in terms of uh, of, of of with women yeah. well you knew the deal that's yeah. the way it is, you know. Mm. Whether it's someone trying to push a, uh, a you know, a, a pram down the street, and all of these different things. I mean, you tell that 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 story to me summed up a certain. There's there's a story in the book which is just a, there's a, a new mother, so she's still weary and all the. It was me. Was, oh, was it you? It was me. Yeah. And it was. Uh, so and, and I'd, that, I'd, that I'd, card. Yeah. The, and the, there's a guy Wait, parked on tell, the pavement. <laughs> no, so I think um, I had gone out, and I think it. It demonstrates, I mean, there's so many stories, but all of this demonstrates, I think, the way the world does not 
make space for women. Our, our structures, our systems, our policies, they are designed by and for men. And uh, at best, there's a sort of polite bemusement when women say, I'm sorry, but that's not doing it for me. And at worst, absolute rage that we would dare to speak up and say, I want better. And so I included that that story to demonstrate very much the latter, which was uh, when my after my first daughter was born, um, and I'd had a cesarean, so I was a bit, you know, I was sort of shuffling. Yeah. Um, and I and she was born in winter. It was really, really cold. I was absolutely desperate to get the out of the house, and I thought I'll just, um, but I'll just very slowly push this big old pram with this tiny baby up the high street, yeah. and then maybe back down again. And I got halfway up the high street and uh, this guy had um, pulled his car up over the pavement to talk to a mate in, in a cafe or a, a shop, I can't remember. And so his car was right across the pavement and, and looking at, and I was sort of approaching this thinking, like shuffling really slowly with this baby in this big pram, thinking, I'm going to have to ask him to move his car because otherwise I'm going to have to physically manoeuvre this pram off the curb round the car, into approaching traffic, back round and up the curb. Mm. Um, and uh, and so as I came closer, I sort of said, can you, you know, I can't get round, can you move your car? And he was like, oh, I'm, I'm talking, love. And I said again, can I, do you mind? And look, I'm really, I can't, could you just, and he just flipped. And it, you know, yeah, it course, was because you're on the fury. Abu- it was fury, it was abuse, it was scary. It was really scary. I had people, I, when I was pregnant, I had a man deliberately bash into me because I'd stepped off a train and was checking a map on my phone. Mm. And when I turned around to him and said, I'm pregnant, he was basically like, you shouldn't have been doing this. Like, he was like, I was physically punishing you. Mm. And like, I had, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually quite frightening how much you see if somebody feels their authority or place in the world has never been questioned, how violent the reaction when it is even slightly eroded their status i think but i also think it applies to you know to men who 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 are worried about their authority and position in the world i think um you know part of my desperate uh hope that this book picks people up and finds people who are just about to tip into oh my god i have to do something about this is is i think there's an awful lot of people women and men who are on the edge of thinking this is like, I mean, there's a lot of people saying this is not this isn't working. Like none of this is working. And you don't fix broken systems by fiddling around the edges. You've got to rip it up and start again. Um, and I think, you know, we're facing such massive, as you say, existential questions, like from the fragility of the planet to, like, you know, is the future of technology and the future of work to the gap of, you know, the rising inequality between rich and poor, you know, when I was uh, 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 researching the book, the, the 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 two pieces of research that kept staying with me was the the, the report by Credit Suisse that found that one percent um, of the world's population now own half the world's wealth, um, and just how many uh, uh, pieces of research that were showing public trust in politicians had completely collapsed. I mean, completely collapsed. When you you know when you're public are asked to list trust in it was always estate agents that were at the bottom or or ad men and now politicians are 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 right are right down there and it was one of the first so i now work i'm chief executive at young women's trust which is the ywca as was um and one of the first pieces of research we did uh, there when i arrived was to ask young women how they feel about the system and 70 percent said 
we've completely lost confidence in politicians. And But equally and cheerily, uh, 70% now identify as feminists. Wow. And there's a, I think there's a very clear correlation there. Yes. You know, yeah. They can identify the sexism around them. They can identify the fact that the people who are supposed to be representing them aren't doing anything about it. And they are reclaiming this word and moving into an activist mode, I think, as a result. And I find that hugely heartening. Well, the way I feel about the future is I feel like if we are to ever achieve pol- uh, political change that is needed everybody needs to become an activist like there's no way that the system will do it for us there's like you know the aristocracy in the past 10 years has doubled its wealth like that is the people who are powerful in this country and they do not want things to change and they will not go yeah of course that will change there you go you've asked for it it's not gonna happen everybody it's not a question of asking for it it's a question for literally fighting for our lives for it otherwise it will not Happen, but, but what are the tools? What are the? That's what oh, I'm this interested. Is so good about no, 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 that's what. That's 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 what. We're, which is, but that's specifically because steering the first us thing background. is, <laughs> there's the big kind of thing, which is I want to change the world. Mm. But that, unfortunately, that that can wear out very quickly because you kind of go. I, I still don't really. That's what I like with the climate change issue is. Yeah. Is apart from making sure you turn your lights out, whatever, you start to go. Oh, I, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And so that's part of, it, isn't it? So, so in the book, yeah, that's in the book. There's a whole section which is like, here's how you do this. Let me give you very clear practical tips. And also, there's a thing we say with arts emergency, which is start small, start local, keep going. And it means so much to me that it's just like. What change do you want to see where you are? Okay, yes. great. Yes, yes. <laughs> Treat it realistically. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I mean, what I wanted to do was balance like a big philosophy of activism because it is, I mean, activism is hard. It's hard work. Campaigning is mostly losing. Um, it's not therapy. It's not about your feelings. It's about, you know, you're going it, to, it's going to feel uncomfortable a lot of the time. And so what I really wanted to marry was this philosophy that takes you through a circle, if you like, from defeating despair to channeling your rage to understanding that hope is is power to compassionate collaboration to practicing perseverance in a, in a circle that will keep you going. And as you said earlier, Josie, an understanding that when you're at the bottom, somebody else is at the top and you can rest and step out. And equally, when you can be at the top and let, you know, let somebody else step out. towards exactly. people who are tired. Yeah. Exactly. But I really did also want to marry that with some very practical stuff at the back. So sort of you've read this this philosophy book, which isn't, you know, it's not just philosophy, but it's very much sort of here's how you might feel and here's how you might deal with it. Um, and here's what other philosophers and thinkers and activists have done when they felt like this. To a bit at the back that says, OK, here's your, here's your list. Because um, I find this a lot, particularly at the Women's Equality Party, that you have to keep breaking it down. You have to keep breaking it down. Like You go out every day with a big vision of the world you want to see and you have to keep breaking it down into really small parts. And, and when we first... Uh, launched the party um, there were so many people saying to me what can I do what can I do what can I do what can I do and I felt completely uh, 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 anxious about this because I sort of didn't really know what we didn't know yet and 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 all these brilliant people were saying I've got this skill and I've got this skill and I'll give you my CV and I'll tell you this and I'm and I and I sort of ended up with sort of I thought I'm going to have the like the world's biggest excel spreadsheet of of future activists and then I'll have to remember where everybody is and then I'll have to remember who I need to tap at what time and um and then but actually the point where I had we all you know it all started functioning was the point where we completely flipped that and said okay anybody who would say to me what can I do to help I would say what do you want to do 
Mm. What are you interested in? What are you good at? How much time have you got? And be realistic. Who do you know and what are they good at? And by the way, are you volunteering to do the thing that you like or are you volunteering to do the thing that you're actually good at? Yeah. <laughs> or the thing <laughs> that we need. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you can, you can really break it down into some, into some very practical stuff. Well, also, like, what capitalism does to everyone is isolates people, makes them feel like they can't do anything, gives them all this pent-up need for, like, connection, community, like, all this unused sort of creativity and energy. So everyone is just like, please, I'm desperate to do something. And so there's all these, like, untapped wells of sort of change. Well, it's interesting you say that because, one, I mean, one of the other things that our current system does to us is tell us that everything will be fine if we just fix ourselves first, and particularly women, Mm -hmm. particularly women. So actually, what I often see is that, you know, that impulse to be an activist gets drained away by all these messages saying, yeah, that's fine, but just fix yourself first. Just sort that bit of you and sort that bit of you and do this and do that and, you know, do some yoga and do more running and do some baking. Learn to ask better for a pay rise. You know, all the sort of... (laughs) Lean in, lean in, lean in. Um, and uh, drink the green juice, get yourself a spiralizer. You know, a spiralizer is not the answer to structural inequality. Sure. So what I've tr- also tried to point out in, in the book, in the last parts of the book about persevering is you have to practice practicing almost. You have to practice keeping going. Mm-hmm. You have to work out and be aware of the messages that will that you may be very susceptible to that will tell you, you know, just just lose those four pounds and then you'll have a bit more energy. I you wish know. it was four pounds. I'm joking, you know. I'm joking. But you see what I mean? Yeah, How course, quickly we end up there yeah, as women, and then, right? And you know, so. well, and also, like, I think it's become even more malicious but hidden. It's become so much more that, like, these beauty standards, they're pretending now that, of course, people don't have to adhere to them. But, of mm. course, if you don't adhere to them, then it means you're not looking after yourself somehow. Mm. Like, it's, mm. this, it's so... It's really insidious. Yes, completely. Insidious, yeah. It's, yeah. So it's, and also, like, all of that shit is so boring compared to, like, the joy that you can have when you organise interesting things, you know. But do you know what I really noticed? I mean, it's funny. What I really noticed when I was... Um, so I spent a lot of time sort of loitering in bookshops while I was uh, writing this one and researching it and seeing, seeing what there was. And you go into um, bookshops and, and the, there, are, there are two sections that really jump out at me every time. One is the philosophy section, which is... Uh, quite often uh, books by men for men about the state of the world and 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 it's all a bit sort of stroke your chin and think big thoughts and um uh and it often doesn't feel very accessible and then there's the self-help section which is books for women often by women which are saying the thing that's making you feel really crap is this and here's my you know, and I say this, and that's why I, you know, I'm <laughs> using my with here's my five point guide to being an activist. But I deliberately wrote an introduction to this, saying the ourselves of this book is really key. This is not a book to tell you to fix yourself. Um, it is a book about understanding how how all of this connects and how you can feel connected and part of a movement. Because I find it, I find that even in even when we go out to want to think differently and read about this stuff. The sexes are pushed in very different directions in terms of how you think about your place in the world. I've noticed that with a book festival that I'm helping out with. Because we, we were going to talk about this, but I don't. I think we probably talked about it before. But is that that's still that the, the the cliche of men's stories are for everyone and yeah. women's stories are for women? And yeah. uh, one of the all day tickets is for a, a room where you've got uh, Lisa Jewell, Adele Parks, Mike Brearley, uh, Alexi Sale, and Jenny Eclair. Brilliant. And all but all. 
the one day tickets so far have gone to women. And it's to me a fascinating thing, which is why do people in the same way, I think we talked about this before when I went to see Little Women and the person introducing it said, mm. it's nice to see some men in the audience. They mm. haven't really. So that that mm. battle, which is just because I was thinking the book you write about identity politics, which yeah. seems like such a uh, kind of pernicious way to shoot down some of these ideas that you're talking about, which is to pretend that anyone who is not Toby Young is somehow therefore trading on, you know, identity politics. Yeah, I think, I mean, I have so many, I can, could write a whole, maybe I'll write the next book about, just about identity politics. But I think, so first of all, I think, uh, what what the hell do we mean by identity politics anyway? Because actually, the reason the world is in the state it's in now, I believe, in the parlous state it's in now, is because we are all being driven and ruled and governed by the identity politics of uh defensive, angry, thin-skinned white men, right? I mean, that's the identity politics that has, is really in power. Um, you know, all these populist leaders who who are, like, the oldest trick in the book, uh, divide and conquer. We're going to make you mistrust, uh, uh, mistrustful and suspicious of each other. And then we're going to, you know, promise you snake oil and God knows what if you just vote for us. And I think, you know... It, so that's, that is a really dangerous identity politics. I think in terms, of, in terms of the wider conversation that's happening right now about how people identify and, the, and, and, and what is important to us, I think some of that other argument has come out, is coming out of the fact that we live in very, very precarious times. Um, I think for young people particularly, um, it, feels, it feels pretty crap, right? I mean... They've just been voted out of a European future by voters who were predominantly old, old and male. Um, there's that chance of owning a house <laughs> ever. The literal only um, chance they had to get tuition fee debt revoked has been vote has not been voted in. The only chance they had to sort of secure their health care. The only chance they had but to I think, change the rental system. They had that didn't go through. None of that went but through. But I'm not talking. I'm not happen. talking about simply Labour didn't win the last election. Oh, that's no, no. not what I mean. That's what not I'm, what I'm saying. But I'm right. adding to what you. Yeah. I'm no. No. Because because I, because I think it's, because I think it's it's everywhere is what I'm saying. I don't think it's. I think I see this. I see this right across, right of course, across, across so the world. Yeah. Completely, but I mean, yeah. it will be the same. You know, in the states in 2016, yeah. there was an option yeah. to get rid of student debt, and it wasn't taken up. But I'm, yeah. I'm not like you know. I'm just saying that exactly the same thing you're saying. Yeah, I, and I think, and so I think as a result of you know the there's the precariousness of work, you know, the gig economy and the stuff that you know, <laughs> we're sitting having this conversation as the budget is being announced, mm. and 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 I hope that there are various measures coming through that understand the amount of unpaid work that women and young women are doing that the government is now depending on seeing us through this virus. Spoiler alert: there won't be. <laughs> <laughs> this is the reason I'm bringing up. Like, um, like I'm a partisan person, but I mean it is literally true that all around the world, like in Brazil, you know, every there've been all these crucial elections, mm -hmm. and who's won? The right wing that we yeah. know aren't going to do anything for young people. That's the truth of it. And I think that is why the identity stuff has become so important for many young people, yeah. which is like, you know, I have my, the, my world just got so much smaller that how I see myself and how I and how my friends see themselves and how we talk about ourselves is incredibly important. And we are going to protect that at all costs. Yeah, there I agree. Would... Sorry, I was agreeing with you. I didn't really oh, no, think no. I was trying to be I wasn't... just Labour. I'm just no, like... I wasn't. Dis no, I think I, I think the, I was just trying to make the point that it's a. And you're absolutely right. It's. I think we we are both saying the same yeah. thing, which is that it's it's a globalized, 
shift to the right that I think um, and pop, but and but but particular kind of shift to the right. Mm. It's a mm-hmm. populist. Thing. Which is like selling something to young people that can only end badly. Like the only thing they're selling to young people is basically racialized superiority or something, which is obviously incredibly bad for everyone. Like that's all they've got because they can't say we're going to make your life easier because they're not going to. And they can't say we're going to make the world better because they're not going to. No, but that's what I mean about, you know, the sort of divide and conquer thing. Yeah, and it was, it, and it's exactly what we saw uh, in the run up to the EU referendum, which was it, we've had... Years and years of austerity. Local services are on their knees. The public sector's on their knees. Uh, you're coming to me saying that your child can't get a school place and, or, and you can't get a doctor's appointment. Well, don't look at It's not us. It's your mm. neighbour. It's your neighbour. But that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's the, it's the kind of the... Uh, to be fearful of everyone else. I mean, when we watch what's yes, going on now, exactly. which is, you know, here we were in, in the build-up towards Brexit, the great thing about the British character is we keep calm and we carry on. And toilet paper! You know, this <laughs> thing, oh. that's the scariest thing to me, is to see this instantaneous hoarding, this instantaneous, mm. uh, I must make sure that I... Ha- and, that's, and, and that works very well, I think, which is to go, well, if I don't try and punch that person and grab that thing, then someone else is going to get it. And, and and that fear that someone else is always going to get the money that you should get, and the house f- that you should get, or whatever it might be, mm. seems to... You know, and I wonder if with the end of a lot of the kind of mass movements that existed, and, and many of which were kind of destroyed in the 80s, mm. That finding different ways of people communing, that seems to be... And, and you talk about that in terms of the compassion as well, of mm. communi- creating communities mm-hmm. with compassion is, is one of the major Well, things. I think... I mean, I'm endlessly encouraged by the the activists, and, and a lot of them are women, who I find who are doing that work, who are holding communities together. It's the people who are, you know, running the food banks and keeping the libraries open and, you know, doing the childcare co-ops. Doing and the work. The, you know, many of whom I you know went and spoke to for the book, the people who are like Pam Warhurst in Topmorden, who are plant, literally planting food outside the doctor's surgery yeah. um, and creating community gardens so that there is a sense of being connected back to the earth and understanding how jobs are linked with production and, you know, nourishing. Pro- I mean, there's a whole... I think we may not... In fact, I think I disagree with you is where I'm going with this. I think we do see mass movements. I think I think there is a big movement among communities at community level, which is one of the other things that I'm doing. Um, so I've got a project called Activate at the moment, which is a sort of side hustle uh, 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 that I started with a bunch of other women, which is about funding female community activists to run for political office, ah, cool. particularly black women and disabled women and working class women who are community activists, because those are the people we need in government right now. Thank you. Um, so those are the people who will be supported by their communities because the communities know them. And so it's like about connect. Them. Exactly, exactly. Connecting people back to their communities and connecting communities back to political mm. representation. So I see that kind of movement going on. Um, I also, But I also think, you know, people taking to the streets... We've seen the big anti-Brexit marches. We've seen the Me Too marches. We've seen the Women's March. And I think, yeah, you can sort of say, well, you know, they all happened and what difference did they make? But I think, um, uh, and as Eje Timilkaran says in, in my book when I interviewed her, the author of How to Lose a Country. I love that book. It's incredible. I recommend she's it. She's amazing. I just completely love her. We, we had this wonderful, wonderful conversation. I was just in goosebumps mm. the whole time where she said, you find out who you are on the streets. You find out 
what you've got. You find out where your reserves are. You find, so, you know, we may not be on the streets every single day, but I do think, I mean, I'm up for it if anyone's listening, but um, I do also think that just those big marches that we've seen over the last few years have, have, have I think they're incredibly nourishing. And also, like, if I think about, so when I first started becoming more politically active, it was in reaction to the election of the coalition. And everyone I met on marches, like the student march, all that stuff, all of those people now, if you see their journey, that was the start of their journey. They are all involved so heavily in politics activism in ways that have clearly developed from that, from meeting each other, from learning, Mm. from, like, just sort of picking things up. So you can say, well, that march was not a success because mm. tuition fees were tripped or whatever. Mm. But then you look at those people and you go, but this person went on to write this book, run for office, do this, do that, do the other. Yeah. And it is really thrilling to sort of know that, like, actually what a march does isn't necessarily the stated aim of that march, you know? Well, I also think, particularly in the in the feminist movement, like, we are so far from having anything resembling feminist politics mm-hmm. in this country or any other country. You know, I think when you look at... You know, every single political party, uh, barring the Whimsical Quality Party, I, ha- I mean, sorry, I know that sounds like I'm being uh, uh, partisan, but, you know... But you are, th- you're allowed to be. But they have written, you know, we wrote we wrote a, a manifesto based on Feminist Economics 101, right? And yeah. no other party has done that. And you can see it as soon, every single one, there's a massive disparity between the spending on physical infrastructure and social infrastructure, even among the, inverted commas, progressive political sure. parties. You know, it, the just, the penny has not dropped. And I think that... Uh, for women to be able to find one another and work with work with one another and to make change happen in their communities and to be able to demonstrate in that way that this works because there is a you know I found it mind blowing the conversations I would be having <laughs> with you know all these panels and the interviews and the multi party conversations and you know I'd be saying well I'm here to talk about women's equality and it'd be like well that's just hard. <laughs> just about another hundred years I think Great. and I'd be like no like it's just a matter of political will yeah. and actually when you design systems that work for the furthest first and the furthest are always women mm-hmm. then they work better for everyone so it's not even about saying we want a bigger slice of the pie it's about saying if we bake a bigger pie for everyone or then everyone's better off <laughs> yeah yeah and also like oh I'm sorry we're going to cut there because okay. we've run out of time. We've oh, gone oh, over. It's been <laughs> so I think you shouldn't be ashamed of being partisan. That's your party. You're allowed to be partisan. But the point is the party was never partisan. The party was always like, this is something that all parties can and should be doing. Of course. Yeah, you I know, and we and we were joint membership. We were caught. Like the amount of work that we did without ever getting credited and without ever being seen, okay, because okay. we were simply trying to say, "Can you just do it?" But isn't that ironic as well? It's women doing all this work. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and thank you so much. I it's love really that. It was great. Thank you. And like the book is Five Rules for Rebellion. Um, yeah, I can't wait to actually read every single word of it and not just enjoy bits of it. But I think it's really exciting to see something that's so clear and positive and helpful brilliant thank you very much for listening patreon.com slash book shambles is where you can go to support us and the podcast get extended episodes and all that cosmic shambles.com slash stay at home is where you can go to get all of the daily episodes and the morning show with robin and josie and everyone else and the the book shambles live streams as well uh as you're listening to this uh if you're listening to this on the day it's come out, tonight we're doing Book Shambles live 
at 6 p.m. with Katie Mack, the astrophysicist, about her new book coming out, and Lem Cisse will be joining us as well. Check that out, cosmicshamas.com for everything else. Uh, stay well, stay away from other people, stay home. Um, we'll be back next week and every single day on the Stay at Home Festival. Cheers, bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.